Welcome to Words of the Wise, an introduction to the book of Proverbs by Dr. Jacques B. Ducan. Edited for audio by the Ambassador Group. Exploration 8. Words of Wisdom. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Proverbs 20, verse 6, New King James Version. To some degree, a great degree actually, we are all products of our environment. Though heredity plays a big role, the values we hold come to us from what is around us, our home, our education, and our culture. From infancy, we are impacted by what we see and hear. Unfortunately, what we see and hear isn't always what is the best for us. The world around us is fallen in every way, and it cannot help impacting us negatively. Nevertheless, we have been given the promise of the Holy Spirit, and we have God's Word, which points us to something higher and better than the world does. This exploration we will consider various proverbs and the practical truths they express, truths that if taken to heart and followed can indeed help us overcome the negativity of this fallen world and prepare us for a better world. We are all equal. Let's listen to what Proverbs 20 verse 12 teaches us about the value of all humans. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made even both of them. Unlike the theory of evolution, which considers us all to be nothing but chance products of a mindless cosmos, the Bible teaches that all humans were created by God. Acts 17 verse 26 says, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. It is no accident either that the American historical figure, known for his integrity, Thomas Jefferson, believed in the equality of all humans, precisely because they were created by God. It's in the Lord and in Him alone that we have our equality. Now, though we all have the same maker, this doesn't mean we are all the same. Even identical twins don't wind up behaving exactly alike. In Corinthians, Paul talks about our differences and stresses that they should not lead to a sense of superiority, but should instead help us see our need for one another. He says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. His words are found in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 21, New King James Version. But what else makes us all equal? Listen to what Proverbs 20, verse 9 says. Who can say, I have made my heart clean, I am pure from my sin? Sin is another universal equalizer. To the rhetorical question of the proverb, the answer, no one, points to the tragic and hopeless condition of humankind. Humans are all weak and mortal, and all the money and power in the world 
will not change that. Yet in the context of the scriptures, this reference to human sinfulness should not lead to despair, because Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection have paved the way for anyone, no matter how sinful, to have the promise of eternal life. And this life comes solely through faith in him, not by our works. Ellen G. White, page 20 of her small, thin book, entitled Faith and Works, wrote, If man cannot, by any of his good works, merit salvation, then it must be holy of grace, received by man as a sinner because he receives and believes in Jesus. It is wholly a free gift. Justification by faith is placed beyond controversy, and all this controversy is ended as soon as a matter is settled that the merits of fallen man in his good works can never procure eternal life for him. Do you ever find yourself feeling superior or inferior to other people? If you do, remembering Jesus' words in John 3.16, ask yourself what the cross tells you about the equality of us all. The Test of Life Speaking about the reward of the righteous, Revelation 14 verse 13 says in the New King James Version, Their works follow them. Only the future will testify to the real value of the individual. People may boast now of their wealth, their knowledge, their physical prowess, and maybe this is all true, but what does it mean in the sight of God? So often the traits and accomplishments and deeds that humans uplift as important or impressive are shown to be the meaningless dross that they really are. After all, look at some of the despicable characters, often in the entertainment industry, who are all but worshipped and adored by fans. What we idolize and worship presents a powerful testimony to how fallen we are. Let's listen to three texts that reveal what is of true value to God. The first text is Proverbs 20, verse 6, which says, Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person, who can find? This text says that God values faithful people. The second text is Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says, Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. This text says that God values that we understand and know him. And the third text is Mark 9, verse 35, which says, Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. This text says that God values the heart of a servant. So summarizing these discoveries, we can conclude that it is not the single sensational act of love or sacrifice that will demonstrate the high quality of your relationships, but the long and regular series of small actions that we perform day by day 
patiently and surely, the daily meal served to your spouse, the constant attention to a sick parent, the continued effort in your job. All these humble acts throughout life are the evidence that your faith is authentic. Enduring faithfulness is more valuable than intense but rare acts of love. This principle holds true for our relationship with God as well. It is more difficult and more valuable to live for God than to die for Him, if for no other reason than that living takes more time than dying. The saint who lives for God is greater than the martyr who dies for Him. Anyone can claim to believe in God and to serve Him. The question is, does it last? Jesus said, He who endures to the end shall be saved. The reference for those words is Matthew 24, verse 13, New King James Version. How through patience, kindness, and willingness to meet others' needs can you reveal to someone something of the character of Christ? How willing are you to do this, no matter the cost to yourself? Waiting for the Lord Here is a detective question for you. The question is, what practical lesson can we find in these texts? Proverbs 20, verse 17, and 21, verse 5. Proverbs 20, verse 17 says, Bread of deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth shall be filled with gravel. And Proverbs 21, verse 5 says, the thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but of every one that is hasty only to want. The thief who steals bread gets it faster than the one who has to work for it. Salespeople who lie to sell their bad merchandise may become rich faster than the honest merchant. Yet according to the proverb, the future will turn the sweetness into gravel, and the hastily acquired wealth will become poverty. The text gives a number of examples to illustrate the accuracy of this observation. Number 1. Proverbs 20 verse 21 says, An inheritance may be gotten hastily at the beginning, but the end thereof shall not be blessed. Proverbs 20 verse 21 speaks of the inheritance. The mention of an inheritance obtained too quickly, implying that the parents are still alive, follows the condemnation of the one who curses his parents, as told in the previous verse. Proverbs 20, verse 20, which says, Whoso curseth his father or his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. The association of these two proverbs is significant. It is as if the son, or the daughter, curses the parents and also wishes them dead. The child may even have plotted the death of the parents in order to get the inheritance. The prospect of this behavior is tragic. The lamp he is presently enjoying verse 20 in the New King James Version, warns will become deep darkness and his curse against his parents will turn on him for, as verse 21 in the same translation said, he will not be blessed at the end. Number 2. 
Proverbs 20 verse 22 speaks of revenge. It says, Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. This time the proverb addresses the victim who may be tempted to seek revenge for the evil that has been committed against him. The counsel is just to wait for the Lord, New King James Version. Only then will you be saved, which implies that if you do seek revenge, you are taking a serious risk. Proverbs 25, 21, and 22 emphasizes the same instruction, using the metaphor of heaping coals of fire on the enemy's head an Egyptian ritual expressing repentance and conversion. Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22 say, If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. If you refrain from revenge, you will be saved by the Lord, and in the process you will save your enemy, thus overcoming evil with good. As Romans 12:21 says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. How can you learn to emulate the character of Christ more closely when it comes to overcoming evil with good? Why is this so contrary to our inherent nature? Why is death to self the only way to achieve this end? Compassion for the poor A person's character is measured less by wisdom or even religious commitments than by readiness to help the poor and the needy. It is not what you have that makes your character, but what you give to your neighbor. Who you are to your neighbor is the measure of character. In the well-known parable of the Good Samaritan told by Jesus, the Samaritan who saves his neighbor is closer to the kingdom of God than the spiritual priest. The book of Proverbs emphasizes and explains the two main reasons for living a purposeful life. For God's sake. The first reason to make this a priority lies in God himself, who prefers human compassion for the poor over our religious zeal. Proverbs 19 verse 17 says, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. And Proverbs 21 verse 13 says, Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. Your sensitivity to the poor and your concrete deeds on their behalf will count more with God than will any of your pious acts. In fact, God is personally invested in that work, so much so that when we give to the poor, it is as if we had given to God himself. We are still in search for the two reasons to live a purpose-driven life. Let's consider what principle Jesus gave to help us bring our second and real purpose into focus. Matthew 25, verses 35-40 through 40 says, For I was unhungered, and ye gave me meat. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee unhungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. What do these verses tell us about how Jesus identifies so closely with those in need? How do his words impact how you relate to people? The second reason that impacts your purpose-driven life, for the sake of the poor. It's true, the second reason lies within the poor person, whom God has created as much as the rich person has been. Proverbs 22, verse 2 says, The rich and poor meet together, and the Lord is the maker of them all. The equality between humans, based on the fact that God has created them all, makes the poor as worthy of attention as the rich person. We should love our neighbors for who they are, beings made in the image of God. At the same time, think about how much good it does you to help those in need. Our basic natures are selfish. By default, we tend to look out for ourselves, over and above others. By giving of ourselves, we learn to die to self and to better reflect Christ's character. And what is of more value to us than that? In what ways do you get a greater sense of personal satisfaction from helping others in need than only doing things for yourself? Education the Hebrew word for education comes from a word that means to build up, to begin. All these meanings are contained in the Hebrew idea of education. When we train up a child, Proverbs 22.6, we build up, we begin, we lay the groundwork for the future. Parents and educators are therefore responsible for their children's future and, by implication, the future of the world. What we do with our children today will impact society for generations to come. Here is another gem of wisdom. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. What does this say about the importance of educating children correctly? It is significant that the Hebrew word for educate is the very word used for the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings 8, verse 63. And Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered unto the Lord, two and twenty thousand oxen, and an hundred and twenty thousand sheep. So the king and all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. Early education means to dedicate our children to God in the same way that the temple is dedicated. It has an impact on our salvation, even beyond our own life. To parents is committed the great work of educating and training their children for the future immortal life. 
Ellen G. White, Child Guidance, page 38. Such education has an eternal effect. The Apostle Paul seems to allude to this text when he commends Timothy for his early training in the knowledge of the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. 2 Timothy 3.15, New King James Version. Proverbs 22, verses 8 and 15 say, He that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity, and the rod of his anger shall fail. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. A person can expect a harvest based upon the seed or seeds that they plant. We are naturally foolish and focused on directional discipline. Disciple-making or tenacious mentoring can change our innate foolishness. Education can be compared to the activity of sowing. The future of our society and of our children depends on what we sow. If our seed was iniquity, then our education, the rod, will fail, and we shall reap trouble. If our seed touch the hearts of the children, then the rod of our education will drive the children's foolishness far from them. We so often teach others, especially children, by our example. Think about your example. What kind of legacy are you leaving? Let's continue exploring. Parents should be models of truthfulness, for this is the daily lesson to be impressed upon the heart of the child. Undeviating principles should govern parents in all the affairs of life, especially in the education and training of their children. Parents never prevaricate, never tell an untruth in precept or in example. If you want your child to be truthful, be truthful yourself. Some priceless admonitions of Ellen G. White on page 151 in her innovative book, Child Guidance. In the same book, on page 38, she wrote, Many fathers and mothers seem to think that if they feed and clothe their little ones and educate them according to the standard of the world, they have done their duty. They are too much occupied with business or pleasure to make the education of their children the study of their lives. They do not seek to train them so that they will employ their talents for the honor of their Redeemer. Solomon did not say, Tell a child the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it, but train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. Let's reconsider Proverbs 22.6, which says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Why must you be careful in how you apply this? Many parents have done a good job in raising their children, and yet as adults, those children make wrong choices. We have to remember the reality of free will and the reality of the great controversy as we look at the meaning of this text. Let's revisit an earlier question from this exploration. The question we thought about was, 
In what ways do you get a greater sense of personal satisfaction from helping others in need than only doing things for yourself? Before, we processed this question looking for the ways that we felt satisfaction. Now consider another facet. What does the question tell us about ourselves as to why we get such a sense of satisfaction from helping people, especially when we get nothing in return? That seems to indicate when the personalized incentives, getting something in return, are taken out of the equation, there is even the potential for a negative return on investment, so to speak. Or worse, we don't receive accolades for our altruism. What is our motivation for doing it? Can you summarize a personal truth based on your own experience? What would you say? What does this truth do to help you better understand why so many people who have so much of the world's riches are miserable nonetheless? A few more questions. Same topic, another angle. Though we are not all equal in talents, education, experience, and so forth, we are equal in the most important thing. That is, we all need the cross for salvation. What does this teach you about the basic equality and worth of all human beings? Even more so, from now on, how will this truth impact how you treat all people one at a time? Let's pray. Lord, I want to emulate your life. I want to value people. I want to be willing to sacrifice for their needs, whoever they are, my friends, my family, especially those who need my personal interaction. Please, I ask your spirit to help me to know when and how to do this. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. ambassadorgroup.org This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.